The Holy Gospel comes from Mark, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we've come here on this rainy and dreary day. Uh, Many of us have been here all week or all weekend working on this flea market that has taken so much time and energy. And yet now we've come back one more time to be refreshed, renewed, and to be infused with uh, the challenge of being your child wherever we go. Not just for a sale or not just for one day, but every day, Lord, there are people and um, causes that need our support. We can't be everywhere for everyone, but help us, Lord, not to miss those who are right in front of us whom we don't know, and maybe we could just say hello and start a conversation, and that would lead to a wonderful new friendship or to someone who desperately needed to be noticed this day. Give us the time, Lord, the Sabbath time, to truly be your people, to let you fill us with the Holy Spirit and help us serve in your name. Amen. Lent has been described as a season of journeying to the cross. Certainly our scripture readings this morning uh, drive home that point. Very, very familiar scriptures. Deny yourself and take up the cross, says our Lord. Plus, she who wants to save her life must lose it for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. We have our work cut out for us in this world if we are to aspire to be genuine disciples. But trying to swallow too much Too big a piece of the cross assignment and its sacrificial demands can just paralyze us up front. 
And yet the truth of the matter is, when we do deny ourselves and the world's hold on our priorities and our perspectives, our faith grows. Let's check out this theory. Here are a few bite-sized morsels of sacrifice that can propel you toward this Lenten promise. My inspiration is found in a little book I'd recommend. Simply, It's called Simplifying the Soul. Simplifying the Soul. Lenten Practices to Renew Your Spirit by Paula Houston. Her practical suggestions for each day are based on writings by the ancient desert fathers and mothers of the 3rd and 4th centuries, folks on a quest for purifying their hearts, who understood that our dependence on physical items and possessions represents, namely, something we need to relinquish if we are ever to change. I imagine our flea market this week might have put some of you in that mood that we have so much stuff in our homes we need to relinquish, share with someone else, and yet others seem so eager to gobble it up and take it on out the door. But it's a purifying thing when we can lighten our loads. Jesus demands of Peter also that whoever is setting their mind on human things is in error because we are to be thinking in terms of divine things. One of Miss Houston's suggestions in this fast-paced, programmed, over-programmed, internet-driven world is to find a quiet space daily for 15 minutes of silent prayer. Her husband built a wonderful wooden bench for her to do this practice. He put the bench up on the top of the yard where the pine trees were and the hill. And she had a house full of teenagers and working parents, and they were working parents, and she had many errands like all of us, struggling to keep everything up in the air. But pulling away for this 15 minutes of silent reflection at dawn made such a huge difference for her connection to God. Observing a peaceful scene of nature, a pond, birds congregating. I just heard others this morning when I said this who had other scenes that they they looked at when they needed to have a sense of peace and of renewal. You might not be surprised to hear me say that when I've had a busy week, I get home in the daylight and I look and the bluebirds, which I am, of course, always nurturing, lined up on my rain gutter. 14 of them, and they're all beginning to pair off, and it's that warm season's coming, and all of a sudden, everything stops. Of course, I run to the refrigerator and get my mealworms out and run outside, and then I sit and I watch them, probably for 15 minutes, and when that's over, it's like you've re-entered a new... new, peaceful creation moment where God says, you know, you're meant to be part of creation, part of this, and it takes time. You can't just be a robot running from here to there with to-do lists. And so whatever captures your attention, take the chance to sit down and watch for 15 minutes of reflection. Now, Paula was doing her reflection at dawn, 
and it made a huge difference in her connection to God. Observation of these kinds of scenes, she said, I felt, I felt the sheer pleasure of unaccustomed quiet as she watched at dawn. Soon there was more than mere silence going on. Secret and mysteriously, it had the feeling of prayer without words. I'd always assumed that real prayer was petitionary. You raised concerns with God, and you asked him for various worthwhile things to help you in life, and you begged him for forgiveness, etc. But her revelation really was that at baptism, we receive not only grace, but a form of healing prayer. I'd never heard that before. We receive from God in that washing a form of healing prayer we don't often maybe tap into. Lutherans are very afraid to pray out loud, it seems to me. That's a very much of some sort of a bar people seem to have to work up to to cross because we are fearful, I suppose. It's not our natural style. But apparently planted within us in baptism is a form of healing prayer. It's something we've always carried within us, like a hidden treasure of which we are rarely aware. And when we slow down and deny the tyranny of the urgent of our to-do lists, then the healing connection with God begins to refresh us. This spiritual practice can happen anytime. It doesn't have to be at dawn if you're not up at the crack of dawn. It can happen if you have a break at work. Go outside, sit on a park bench. If you have a balcony in your apartment, sit outside. Just find that time of uninterrupted silence and listen. Be in the presence of God who desires so much to redeem you from all that's weighing you down. This is how we deny the world's hold on us as a result. God comes near and faith increases. I'm not sure that this qualifies as 15 minutes of silence but it was an unexpected moment that happened to me a few years ago. First, I had to get my own agenda out of God's way. On a terribly busy Ash Wednesday, we had a staff meeting in 20 minutes, and I hadn't prepared the agenda as usual yet, so I was running around thinking of what was coming up in the week when a staff mate pops her head in my door to say, Diane, have you got a minute? Are you kidding me? Look at me. Do I look like I have a minute? No. I said, ah, not really. I really don't. But she continued, well, nonetheless, <laughs> there's this woman out in the lobby, and she's here on just her lunch hour, and she would really like for you to have the imposition of ashes. She has to work tonight, and she'll never be able to return for worship. Could you take a few minutes? Oh, shame washed over me in my rush. In my rush to do church business, I was neglecting to do Jesus business. Of course, I invited her in. What a gift it was. Immediately, she noticed, you'll get a kick out of this, I suppose, my Tanzanian pictures. She'd been there herself to all the same places, she spoke of the spiritual joy she'd received when she worshipped there in Tanzania. She had hoped to go to seminary one day and felt a call to global mission work. I'm going, okay, God, I get it. I get it. This is a soulmate. 
but she confessed that she'd buried all that holy desire under a crushing demand of work in her life and childcare and everything else. So she was so eager today to get those ashes on her brow, the cross, to cherish once more the new life God had offered to her. And as she left, she said, you know, I feel inspired to go back to my church now and revive our mission outreach. Thank you. And she says, if you'd like, I could share with you our church's great Holy Week skit of the Last Supper. Now that was too bizarre. Because honestly, I had been searching for a skit that week that we might do for the Last Supper. Lesson learned. Even in the midst of doing God's work, I needed to say, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting my mind on human things and not on divine gifts. God reminded me who's in charge and brought me to my knees in embarrassment. This stranger was the one who was the bearer of overflowing grace, and her faith lifted mine. I may have told some of you I had a most poignant Ash Wednesday week getting a call from one of my dear friends at Trinity Lansdale, the secretary who worked with me when I was there many years ago, but we were very close. Her 51-year-old daughter, Judy, was in the hospital at Abington, and she had had a recent bout with cancer, uterine cancer, just from November until Valentine's Day, Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, but she was not expected to make it through the week. They had not been able to catch it. The family was all gathered in the hospital room, and they asked if I would come down and give them imposition of ashes. And I said I certainly would go, but I hung up the phone and was totally paralyzed. I thought, oh, my word, I was so sad. I hadn't known, and I didn't know what I would say. And um, nonetheless, I scurried around and got ready to go. When I got down to Abington, the room was filled with her son, who was graduating from high school this year, with her daughter holding her hand, who is a third-year veterinary student, with her, of course, her mom and dad, my friends, and with relatives who had come, and um, with friends of the kids in the room, of her children. And uh, this was a woman who had been your basic, wonderful outgoings, you know, scout mother, and cooked for everyone, and she was a nurse, and she was uh, the epitome of joy and giving. And she had um, said that she, w- she wasn't afraid to die, but her husband was holding her hand. And uh, we talked for about an hour reminiscing about all sorts of things. And finally, I got to the point of putting the ashes on everyone, and it was so powerful that way, that day. Her daughter said, Mom, it's, it's Valentine's Day. It's my birthday. Please don't die today. I don't want to always remember my mother dying on Valentine's Day. And, of course, Judy didn't die until the next morning at 9 o'clock. It's such a mystery at that time, isn't it? When you know that you've taken time, just in those minutes together, it was transformative. I went around and putting the ash on Judy's head lastly and attended her funeral on Friday at Trinity. It was so powerful. 
So we are not here forever, my friends. We all know that. But we are reminded again and again and again how precious life is, how precious relationships are, and what will be said of us when we are gone. Hopefully, we too took the time to relate to others, to care, to spread our faith. We live so much by the tyranny of the urgent, it is called. Running, running here and there with kids and practices and appointments and deadlines and entertainment, and I'm one of those people running too. But this world imposes on us so much other than time for Jesus in prayer, in scripture, and devotion. We have podcasts on mindfulness and a workshop this Wednesday night to help us once again over and over and over to slow it down. Our gospel warns us this morning, who will, what will it profit them to gain the whole world and to forfeit their life? Here's another Lenten idea from Paula Houston, and I'll share it in light of our flea market work this week, which has been so much work for so many volunteers. She says, it's one marvelous thing to give a check or a money order, uh, money order or to a charity or to send money to global relief around the world. However, the heavier cross to bear is to support those staff or field workers when they come to town, should they? This happened to Paula when the president of one of her favorite charities arrived in town, the international director, and he needed lodging. Oh, he could have gone to a hotel, but someone suggested maybe she would like to host him in her own home, to which she thought, no, I have too much to do. I can't take on one more thing. And then the spirit began to work on her. She thought, I'm way too busy. I'm way too busy to do all this. Maybe I was just happier to send the check. But the exhausted young man who finally was invited to stay in her home sat there and worked and worked and worked. He had hundreds of emails to answer. He hadn't seen his own children in weeks Hurricane disasters overseas he had to manage, and she watched him working into the night and realized Jesus commands us to love one another as he loves us. As I watched him, she says, doing his best to mitigate the disasters for others at the expense of his own peace, he showed me what this kind of love looks like. And then Houston advises us all, if possible, go to the people whom the charity you're supporting serves and meet them and hear their story. And when it comes to charity, you know, money is great, but it's never enough. God requires our hearts become invested incarnational investment. You see, following Jesus will cost us. But if you let him take the lead, in these bite-sized ways, during Lent and every day, your faith will grow and a new abundant life will begin with Easter Easter joy. That's the formula of our Savior.
Amen.